All right, so um, Peter's theme throughout his entire uh, epistle is really endurance through suffering. And uh, let me just quickly do a, a little review here. First Peter 1, he, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, chosen rejects. And um, usually when you hear the term exile, you think of somebody who has been taken out of their country and put in another country. But he's not writing to people who are out of their country. These are people in modern-day Turkey um, who are in their country. So what does he mean? Well, he means that even though you're in your hometown, your home uh, country, you are exiles because you're not of this world anymore. And they were enduring persecution. So he starts with that concept in chapter 2, 21, for to this, the suffering, you've been called. You ever think about that? Some people say, I've been called to this great thing or that great thing. You've been called to suffering because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. In chapter 3, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed and then uh, today, we're going to continue in chapter 4, where he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What does that mean? So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, a uh, lot, lot in those verses, and here's, here's what I want to do. I want to, uh, to give you five phrases that we can draw out of this paragraph. And I'm going to call these five framing phrases. They, they kind of frame for us how to think about suffering for Christ. And uh, Peter's addressing persecution as one form of suffering. There's another kind of suffering, and that is as you fight against sin, that may involve some, some suffering. So, Five framing phrases that sum up this paragraph. So the first one would be this. As you are suffering, ask yourself, well, what did I expect? Okay, what did I expect? He says this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The, the thought is this, he's our master, and he suffered, 
we are following him and he never hid it from us that there would be suffering, maybe even death involved. What, what I've what I found is many times when Christians suffer, they're hit with, with disillusionment. They go, nobody told me this. Well, if nobody told you, it's not because Jesus hid anything. And, and this would be a great time to attack the health, wealth gospel or the, the, the sell the gospel. But, but I, just, I just wonder if the American church in general is so image-driven that the, the environment we create, create at church and the pictures we put up on websites and even look, go to a Christian bookstore and buy, take a book on the family there. They're running down the beach happily. And, and I'm not saying we should put pictures of people in agony. <laughs> um, but I wonder if the message that gets subtly communicated is, come follow Jesus and life is but a dream. And then we get hit with pain and we go, Nobody told me about this. And I just want to remind us that Jesus did tell us things like this. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Similarly, two verses later, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Matthew 10, 25. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is a name for Satan, Jesus is saying, if they called me Satan, right, how much more will they malign those of his household? You will be... Uh, and, and, and isn't this interesting? The, the persecution can come from unbelievers um, that you are... Uh, you know, narrow-minded or whatever, but it can come from those within religion who, if you don't do things the way they think you should, you're Satan, right? So you can get it from both sides. Matthew 10, 36, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Some of you uh, have that pain, right? And then... Luke 21, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake. Again, you go, well, that seems strange. It doesn't really happen a lot in my neighborhood, but if you go to the other side of the world, it happens all the time, right? Sometimes the work of the sermon that I, I work on all week and pray over and pray God would apply. Sometimes the work of the sermon is just simply to remind us to realign our thinking according to what Scripture says. Not what the marketing of the gospel says, not what all the TV commercials say, but Jesus never hid the fact that suffering's part of the deal. Right? So, a, a way to put it crassly would be this. Am I following Jesus, the crucified Lord, or some Jesus who's a fairy godmother 
who promises a fantasy world. All right? So, statement number one is, what did I expect? Which forces us to go back and read the words of Jesus, and he never hid the reality of suffering. All right? Let me give you a second one. Take the punch. Okay? Take the pu this is not about when you're at a party. <laughs> Take the punch. This is, uh, well, he says this. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, we, we know it can't mean that if you suffer, um, you'll, you will be made sinlessly perfect. Sinless perfection is not a reality uh, this side of eternity. But huge, uh, huge gains in overcoming sin can be made in this life. And one of the ways we, we gain, we, we make huge gains in our fight against sin, is when we step out of the theoretical world into the real world and we suffer. Right? The ESV note says this. Peter's point is that when believers are willing to suffer, the nerve center of sin is severed in their lives. Although believers will never be totally free from sin in this life, when believers endure suffering for the sake of Christ, they show that their purpose in life is not to live for their own pleasures, but according to the will of God and for his glory. When you suffer, the nerve center of sin is severed in their lives. So um, I remember uh, when I first encountered something like this. So I, I became a believer at age 19, went to Northern Illinois University, heard the gospel, and um, really believe I was a, was a believer, and uh, started studying the Bible and going to church and going to some campus groups, and um, it was great. And it was pretty much all up here in my head at that time. Um, then, I came home to my home in Batavia, and my parents were out of town, and uh, my brother was having a party at our house, and a lot of my friends were there. And um, I, I won't tell you what was going on, but something was going on that I probably in the past would have just, you know, said, oh, well. But Jesus in me was saying no. This is not to take place in your house. So I spoke up. And that's when all the, oh, Mr. Holier Than Thou, oh, Mr. I Got Religion, and, and I was roasted for just saying no. Right? Now, what happened there was I was living in untested safe Christianity up here, and I took a step into unsafe, but now tested Christianity. It's my first attack of persecution. I lived. <laughs> and it strengthened me. And it, 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 it cut 
a nerve center of sin. You know, sometimes fearing the punch can be worse than taking the punch. How many of you have ever been punched? Don't raise your hand. Okay. Um, when I, I, there, there was an incident in Batavia growing up at the McDonald's um, that involved, uh, let's just put it this way, the police came and uh, I took a punch and I went down, I don't know, maybe I was knocked out, don't remember. Um, and I had a big old black eye. This was in the past. This was like a month ago, all right? No. <laughs> <laughs> this was in high school, okay? And um, people said, oh, that must have hurt. It didn't really. I mean, I don't, the adrenaline was going. I don't know. But it looked really good, though, you know? When I was at college, there, I, there was a, a bunch of us from our dorm floor. We went down in the basement of the dorm, and there, we were cleaning out a closet, and there was a, um, a barrel full of sports equipment. There was uh, footballs and baseball bats, and at the bottom of the barrel were two sets of boxing gloves. <laughs> and it's, a, it's a, a, a proven fact of reality that when you take guys on a dorm floor and add boxing gloves a fight will break out, right? And uh, I put on a pair, and another guy put on a pair, and, you know, you start circling, and uh, boom, boom! And um, I took a punch. I think I got one in, too, all right? all right? I lived. So here's a question. Is there a punch that you're just terrified of and maybe God is saying the fear of the punch is, not as, is worse than the actual punch. Okay, now I've got to bring Rocky into this. Right? right, Rocky three, he's going to fight Mr. T, and he's, he's not training very well, and he's, he's lethargic, and there's that scene on the beach, you know, that classic scene on the beach, where Adrian says, what, what, what's, what's with you, Rocky? And uh, he goes, "Would you want to break me down? Something you want to break me down or something, Adrian?" You know. And uh, he says, "All right, I'm going to say it. I'm afraid because this guy's going to kill him." And uh, he says, "What if I lose?" And she says, "Then you lose." And then Rocky changes, and the Rocky music comes on, <laughs> and, and he goes in the ring, and he purposely. Uh, if you remember, he opens himself up, and Mr. You know, he opens himself, and Mr. T's just killing him, and he goes, "He ain't so bad. He ain't so bad." I I think what Peter is saying here is, "Go ahead, take the punch. It will actually strengthen your walk and and your fight against sin." All right. Number three, enough. He says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past, the, the time of sinning that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. 
suffices means you've done enough already. Okay? You've done enough sinning already. Okay? Have you ever talked to somebody about Christ and they go, yeah, I know I need to become a Christian, but I've still got some sinning to do. Right? And, and I think some Christians uh, can, can kind of play that same game. Um, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, but, boy, the good old days. Okay? And, and Peter says, no, enough. Now, again, this is not talking about sinless perfection. In fact, he goes on to list some of the sins that they were coming out of. What he's, what he's talking about is Gentile depravity. He goes, you can't be a Christian and go on living in that type of depravity, live, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. You go, wow, orgies? Well, you know, the, you, you go to the pagan temple, and part of the religious service involved prostitutes. All right? So this was a way of life. And he says, that's the past. It's enough. Right? You'll always be fighting against sins. Right? But Christ will not allow you to live immersed in a life like this. Living in, immersed in this type of lifestyle. Let me just remind you of some verses. Okay, Ezekiel 36, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, again, we're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about a new heart that beats for God and godliness. You can't be immersed in that old stuff. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? You're a new creature with a, with a new heart and a new direction. So, let me ask you this. When you're sitting in church or in Bible study or reading your Bible, does your heart say, Yes, Lord. I want to grow in holiness. I want to leave that behind. And the reason I ask is because there are some people who have gone to church all their lives and they, they, they hear a point like this and they rationalize it and say, yeah, but. And they try to justify a life immersed in depravity and still claim to be a Christian. No, enough! Can you say enough? Right. So let's keep moving. Vengeance is mine. Peter says this, with respect to this, this depravity that you're coming out of, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. 
Any of you get that? Where, come on, let's go do this. And you say no. And then they heap insults upon you. Why? Well, sometimes just your presence as a Christian, without, without you preaching, without you pointing out there, just your presence shines the light on their darkness. Okay? R.C. Sproul, may his name be remembered, um, R.C. Sproul tells a story about a professional golfer. I don't think he reveals who the golfer is, um, but he was going to, to golf in a foursome for fun with Billy Graham. And um, after he plays golf, he's on the, the, uh, the driving range just smacking balls, and you could tell he's mad, and his friend comes up to him and he says, wow, you look, you look pretty ticked off. What happened? And he goes, uh, I wish that Billy Graham would just shut up about his religion. He's always trying to force it down people's throats. And uh, the friend says, so he must have been pretty, pretty rough on you. What did he say? And he hits a ball, and he says, well, he actually didn't say anything. I just had a bad game. Right? Just Billy Graham's presence made this guy feel uncomfortable. Okay? For, for some people, no matter how nice you are, they're going to hate you and malign you because you are the light. Now, Peter goes on and he says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Solution? Don't take revenge. Don't get even. Remind yourself that that's God's job and a day of justice is coming. It, very similar to Romans 12, 9, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Now, a lot of people stop right there. A lot of Christians go, never avenge yourselves. Be nice. And they have this, this angst. Because just if, it's, if your view of Christianity is just be nice, there's this internal knowledge that injustice, people are getting away. It's an unjust world, and that creates all kinds of problems. So Paul doesn't just say, be nice, beloved, never avenge yourselves. He says this, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay. This is saying there is a day of vengeance coming, and God's a better judge and executioner than you are. So, do the mental and spiritual work of handing them over to him. Okay? Now, all injustice will be settled in one of two places. On the cross or in hell. On the cross or in hell. But God is a God of justice, and all injustice will be settled, but handed over to him. All right? One last phrase. Eternity is on its way. He says this. For this is why 
the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Now, stop right there. Some of you are going, oh, there's that idea of Jesus going to hell and preaching the gospel and giving people a second chance or whatever. No. (laughs) Um, Peter's writing this about 65 A.D. The gospel had already spread throughout the, the Roman world. And I believe he's simply saying this. There are some Christians who've heard the gospel, and they're now dead. Okay, The gospel was preached to them while they were alive. Now they're now dead. That's, that's who the dead are here. Okay, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, how, what is that referring to? Death. Though they're dead, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Yep, they died, but now they're with God in their spirit. Right? He's simply reminding us that the pain we endure during this lifetime is really small compared to the eternity we're going to spend with God. Uh, somebody sent me a video uh, this week. It was... Uh, so I'm stealing this from Francis Chan. He did this in a sermon, so I'm going to do the same thing. I've got to go all the way over here, and I'm going to get... Here it is. This is an eternal rope because it goes through the curtain... Forever. Well, okay. But pretend it does. All right? But imagine a rope that, that goes forever and ever out into space, out past, past the galaxy, into, just forever and ever. And there's your life right there. That's your, your current life right now. Are you living obsessed with this? Or are you focused on eternity? I think Peter's saying we can endure this when we're reminded of this. That is, if we have Christ. Right? Physical death is just passing into eternity. Um, the book of Revelation says this. Oh, oh it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> I have it written here, though. Uh, John writes, Revelation 2.11, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers is the one who trusts in Christ, endures uh, in the faith. And you'll not be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? Eternity in hell. Somebody once put it this way. Those who are born once will die twice, but those who are born twice will only die once. you're born once, just physically, you will die physically and eternally. 
If you're born twice, once physically and then spiritually, trusting in Christ, right? You only die once, physically. Dwell on that. Right? So, five points. What did I expect? Take the punch. Enough. Vengeance is mine. Eternity is on its way. Let's pray. Lord, we just need your strength now to believe and live in a way that glorifies you the way you lived, enduring persecution and suffering, not as an end in and of itself, but knowing that we have eternal life waiting on the other end, knowing that we are, are following you, our master, and we are just your disciples. So Lord, I pray for each of us that you would give us a fresh dose uh, of your grace, your spirit, uh, your endurance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.